Hi folks, John Carlin here. As many of you know, Cyberspace is a new cafe podcast that I host every other Friday. Guests who've made a significant impact in the world of cybersecurity join me to explore issues at the intersection of law, tech, and policy. For this week's episode, I speak with Sue Gordon. She spent nearly 40 years in government intelligence, a position in which she personally briefed five of the last six U.S. presidents. From 2017 to 2019, Gordon was the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence, where she advised President Trump. We discuss her journey from studying zoology in college to joining the CIA in 1980, her public resignation from the DNI, and of course, election security, and the growing national security challenges to protect our data from foreign powers. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned with Preet. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid .edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. And so you went and luckily uh, you got through that period and then you end up briefing five of the last six presidents. And I'll be curious how President George H.W. Bush ended up not being on the list. But uh, I want to get a sense a little bit uh, when you're, you know, when you're briefing, uh, briefing the different presidents, how did they vary in in style? How would you describe their different approaches to being briefed? Oh, golly. Each is different as they are. So I actually did brief 41 when he was Reagan's vice president. Um, And he was in the room where I briefed on the Soviet civil space program. And so I was a pop uh, briefing on my area of expertise. Um, Reagan was like a dad, Right. He was very thoughtful. He was thinking about it. He would ask his colleagues, like, what do you think? Or why did they do that? And the person he turned to was George H.W. And he was like the, the sage, reasoned voice for Reagan. And I think that's the record of him. As you move through him, so, so Reagan was interested, respectful, curious, surprised, thought it was cool. Um, He was a fun person. He was just a fun person to brief. As you move through it, the ones that really strike me then are President Obama. So he was a thinker, right? When you briefed him, you were giving him information for him to process, put together, consider. He was a comfortable person to brief for an analyst because he was thinking analytically, right? And he wasn't just consuming it and he was putting it in place. And so I don't know that I would consider him a fun brief, but he was he was a comfortable person to brief. And then and then President Trump is I I say this all the time. One of the ways that he's similar to the other presidents is that they're all different. He's much more of a romp 
in terms of you better come with your socks up. You better come with information good enough to play with, not just the information you wanted to impart, but how that information plays in non-predictive ways. I think I think President Trump was a hard person to just run an expert at because his questions weren't neat and weren't particularly predictive. And in the stodgy world of intelligence, he would ask questions of an intelligence officer that intelligence officers are taught you don't answer. So so you have a president that doesn't obey the rules. You have a very rule-based culture. And there were times that I think that was that was difficult. Can you give an example, not not from a briefing, but an example of the type of rule that intelligence operative briefing is trained trained to follow that question? Yeah, what do you think we should do about that? Right? <laughs> right? So you're briefing, you're briefing the president. And I and and I say this without pejorative, right? This is you're, you're briefing someone who is an outsider, hasn't been trained in all the arcanity of the various rules and the limitations of all the various branches. He's sitting in front of him or sitting people talking about important things. My experience was, especially early on, he didn't distinguish between what the delineation of the responsibilities were. So let me think if I can think of an example yeah, usually it was kind of like, well, what do you think we should do about that? Do you think we should do A or B or C? Or I think that's not true, or I think they're cheating us, or I think they're whatever. And it would be pushing off of what we had presented, but it wouldn't be, let's talk more about the intelligence. It would be more about the situation. And, you know, whose responsibility is it to figure out how to be successful in that setting? I think it's I think it's on the intelligence community because what we want more than anything else is for our information or the clarity, wisdom, and insight that we pray we're bringing can be heard. And if you've got someone who's going off in different directions, who's asking things of you that are not what you're prepared to answer, you still have to figure out how you give him information that you believe he needs to hear. And, you know, we've talked before about how one particularly difficult topic was trying to brief Russian interference in the 2016 election and then ensuing investigations into that activity, some of which are now public, both the the Russian uh, attempts on the 2018 election that resulted in a public criminal indictment. And really just earlier, there was the indictment of Russian officers for attacking everything from the Olympics to unleashing a cyber worm of unprecedented destruction that hit things ranging from hospitals to electric grids, the so-called NotPetya, and that that was particularly contentious for President Trump. And so, you know, how did he differ from others in terms of not not listening to the intelligence community on uh, different subjects or trying to change your findings? If at all. Let's see. So I think history will show that the outcome bureaucratically, systemically of the Russian interference and 
the intelligence community's assessment became in the president, my sense is they became in the president's mind an indictment of his legitimacy. And in, in fact, with actions that, that, that followed with, with his political opponents, it became a question in his mind or it became synonymous with with people who would say that his presidency was illegitimate, whether that was collusion or whether it was people who would suggest that things that we didn't find, which were vote changing. And so anytime we raised it, he heard that that we were re-raising the issue of legitimacy, or this was my sense. And and we've had conversation after conversation to say, Mr. President, that's not what we're saying. We're saying what the Russians are doing. We're talking about the Russian intent. But it just became conflated such that it was a hard topic for him to hear. And then, because this president is more situational, more transactional, more economic, more leverage, more deal-making, then you have him wanting to use or suppress information based on what he was trying to accomplish on other venues. So I think I can see why it was so fraught. It was never my experience that we pulled any punches in our assessments I think history, you know, we can talk about this. I think the things that have been done between 2016 and 2020 as a federal government and then with the private sector and with state and locals to better secure our elections is remarkable work. And none of the things that happened with the president have altered that success. That said given that it was a topic that was always contentious, you always worry that over time people will just start making decisions about not bringing things forward. But during my time there, I never saw us change an assessment, never saw us pull a punch. But I can see a long-term deleterious effect if it continued. What do you think of, if you saw there was recent reporting that said that that there was a review of Russia House information by the general counsel and the director at the CIA before information went to the president. And I had two thoughts about that. So one was along the lines you were just discussing um, in terms of thinking about what the reaction would be and deciding what, what, what you want to brief or not brief. But the second was you have this very unusual situation now that's really been consistent through the four years, but what happens if the if the president is not reelected, continues to hold uh, this view about intelligence that's provided about, about Russia? Could that end up jeopardizing sources and methods? And what's your responsibility if you're concerned about that when when they, they are still the sitting commander in chief? And I could see either of those reasons being reasons why you'd want to carefully review what was briefed. But what's your take? Yeah, so it's a great question. <laughs> the first is intelligence is weird in that it's always fractional. 
it's almost always imperfect. It is infrequent that you get intelligence that is so complete that by itself, it answers a question. And so you'll get intelligence that you believe is credible, but it's not corroborated. You'll get intelligence that's credible, but from an incredible source. And so you're always trying to put it together. The challenge that we had with election-specific intelligence is that you don't want to do the opponent's work for them, right? So you're always trying to decide how much confidence do you have in in the information. And in 2020, and probably for the last five years, nothing stays in channel, right? More and more people are deciding that they're going to reveal it for their own purpose. And so one, you get more and more tight about being certain in your assessment because you know that it is going to be used and potentially misused. So I applaud that. I would expect that's what people are doing, getting more tight about how certain they are. Just in saying that, you know the problem that then arises because intelligence is sometimes best when it is a fractional warning that allows you to consider other things. Gina is about as steely intelligence officer that I know. I have no sense that she would do anything other than what she believed was appropriate for not only her responsibility, but the craft. But I do think that this is a particularly difficult administration for whom to both be relevant and be independent. And so I think there are absolutely deleterious possibilities of either exposing too much, aka declassifying a bunch of stuff, or holding too much, both of which actions are tools you have, but you better make sure you're applying it with the right understanding of the consequence. Do you think the current director of national intelligence is making the right decision declassifying documents right before an election? With the caveat that I am not sitting in his shoes I hope you've enjoyed this sample from the Cyberspace podcast. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.